Shalom, everybody. As you know, it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to bring the word. And it's nice to have Rick be able to go and visit other churches and just take some time off because preparing messages sounds easy, but it's very difficult. And uh, Kaylee, you did a good job of announcing your foray into asking people, you know, about their spiritual life. And it's interesting because it's the one thing that we're told not to do, and it's the one thing that most people have more questions about. I wanted to begin my message today by describing one of the most famous introductions to a book that we know of. The book written by Charles Dickens, and it's called The Tale of Two Cities, and it's right about the time before the French Revolution, and this is how it begins. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity, it was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going directly to heaven, and we were all going directly the other way. In short, the two cities that Dickens is talking about is Paris and London, close together but very different. The tale of two cities is told from the point of view of an omniscient and third-person narrator. He's omniscient because the narrator, Charles Dickens, knows everything in the story, including characters, private thoughts, third-person because he is removed from the action using only third-person pronouns. And it's kind of like my message today about another city, Jerusalem. God and Jerusalem are connected. God is omniscient. God knows everything. The difference is God has a say in what's going to happen. So I'd like to give you a look at Jerusalem today through Psalm 122, but from God's perspective. It was working great. There we go. So my introduction is, why is Jerusalem important? Why should we pray for Jerusalem? And why does Jerusalem matter? Why is Jerusalem important? Well, do you know that Jerusalem is mentioned 810 times in the Bible? And Zion, which is just another way of saying Jerusalem, is mentioned another 150 times. So if it's important to God, it should be important to us. Why should Jerusalem be in our prayers? When the UN divided the land to give Israel a homeland in 1948, the Jewish people had been removed from that land for the most part for over 1,900 years. And when they came back, those who oversaw it continued to give this, the, the control of Jerusalem 
over to the Jordanians and not the Jewish people. During the Six-Day War, Moshe Dayan took the tanks up to Jerusalem and liberated, and for the first time, the Jewish people had control of Jerusalem, but he left the Temple Mount area, where the temple used to stand, and today is the Dome of the Rock, and again, the hands of the Jordanians. But Menachem Begin said many times that Jerusalem is at the center of God's eternal plan. So Israel's capital is Jerusalem today. The world refuses to accept it. In fact, in December of 2015, UN Resolution 181 was a declaration that Jerusalem would be a corpus separandum, never part of Israel and never under the control of the Jewish people. Now, that's not the first time that the UN voted for, for that, but Israel has had more sanctions against them by the UN than every other city and country combined in the, in the world. And every time this came up for a vote, the U.S. vetoed it. This time, the U.S. sustained. So the world, in a sense, has come to believe that Jerusalem will never be in the hands... Okay, but recently, the new president officially declared... Well, he didn't officially declare it because the United States officially declared Jerusalem as a capital city of Jerusalem, except that they never really truly recognized it, and it was always kind of passed down to the next president. Well, this president actually decided to do something about it. And you know what he did? He decided that if it's going to be the capital of Israel, then we should move our consulate. And those of us who went to Israel a few months ago, we drove by it. And that's a, an important, important decision but the reality is, is that Donald Trump didn't decide that Jerusalem is the center of Israel. God did. So it's very, very important. And I'm going to give you 24 reasons why Jerusalem should matter to us today. According to the rabbis, did you know that the Garden of Eden was in Jerusalem? Did you know, according to the rabbis that the dust on Mount Moriah was the dust that God created Adam with? Did you know that Mount Moriah, where the Temple Mount stands today, is by the rabbis considered where God made the first sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve, and where Cain and Abel made their first offering? And I know that that might be hard to explain, because we're thinking of God and of Eden all the way over in Iraq and that area, but afterwards, we won't do it today. I mean, um, we won't do it right now. If you want to understand the Jewish perspective of Jerusalem being the Garden of Eden, just come and talk to me afterwards. But it's pretty cool. Abraham meets Melchizedek. Where? In Jerusalem. He's considered a priest and a king of Salam, which is the name of Jerusalem before Jerusalem. Abraham offered Isaac where? Mount Moriah. Isaac met his bride there. Jacob had his dream of the ladder there. King David made Jerusalem the capital in about 950 B.C. Solomon built the first temple there. Zerubbabel and Nehemiah built the second temple there. We're explicitly today in Psalm 122 commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Lord, is, the Lord Yeshua called Jerusalem the city 
of the great king. Jerusalem was a place that Jesus went to. He was crucified there. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven from Jerusalem. The modern-day church was formulated in Jerusalem. Apostle Paul kept all the holidays and taught in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the place of the third temple. It's where the Lord will return. It's the place of the fourth temple. And as I mentioned before, it's mentioned almost a thousand times in the Bible. So if it matters to God, it should matter to us. Amen? Amen. In fact, as you said, we're commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalu shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So, as you see the handout, we're going to take a unique look at Jerusalem today, based on Psalm 122, and we're going to see four major points. There are two kinds of words that form a junction to compose, construct Jerusalem. There are two kinds of cities that are joined together to form Jerusalem. We're going to see that there are two kinds of people that journey up to Jerusalem, and there are two kinds of peace that bring joy in Jerusalem. So the first one, there are two kinds of words that form a junction to construct Jerusalem. And you see from the first two verses of our psalm today, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, or Yerushalayim. Can you say Yerushalayim? Very good. I'm going to need to teach you some Hebrew this morning because there's a lot of prayers in the Bible and they're in Hebrew. And the way to say Jerusalem in Hebrew is Yerushalayim. And we're going to see why that's very important to understand Jerusalem today. But you notice that the house of the Lord and the city are connected. And we're going to see that later on. This is called the Psalm of Ascent. Many scholars believe that the Jewish people were commanded three times a year to journey up to Jerusalem, the pilgrimage festivals, Deuteronomy 16, 16. Others believe that the Levites also sang these psalms from 120 to 136 as they went up to the 15 steps from the, from the bottom part of the temple up to the, where they would sacrifice. So I arranged our lambs today going up to the steps of the temple. And it's very fitting because it says, let us go up. You go up to Jerusalem, but you also go up the steps Now, most of you probably, how many people here were raised going to a synagogue? Raise your hand. Okay, yep, Sydney, you you went to synagogue. Well, when you go to the synagogue, we have a prayer book. It's called a Siddur. And I have more of a modern messianic version here. And the rabbis have constructed the synagogue service which lasts usually in the Orthodox synagogue three and a half to four hours. 
And it's constructed as we build going up to the steps to meet God. It's pretty cool. In fact, our service is built that way too. We start off with a, a prayer, and then we move to songs, and then we move to the teaching of the word, and in a sense, that's how it is in the synagogue. You start off with do just some statements, praise and worship, then you get to the middle section where you start pronouncing uh, the understanding of who God is with the Shema. You have the next level step of called the Amidah. These are almost like statements of faith. And then the crescendo of the synagogue service is the actual taking out of the Torah and reading it. And it's in a parallel understanding of going up those steps. So when we enter the synagogue, here's how we enter it as we enter the tents of the city. Listen to this. Matovu ahalecha Yaakov, Mishkenatecha Yisrael, Vanibuavadecha, Avoparenecha Matovu ahalecha Yaakov, Mishkenatecha Yisrael. How good are your tents, O Jacob? Your tabernacles, your your places of worship, O Israel. And in thy great compassion, I will come into your house. There I will bow, there I will kneel towards your holiness, Adonai, God. That's kind of the beginning in the Hodu. And then you're going to notice that there's a lot of focus on the temple and Jerusalem in the worship service in the synagogue. And this one is now the next level of praise and worship. Um, Michael knows, as he's played a lot of songs, a lot of them are based on the songs, because King David wrote them to be sung in the temple. Psalm 135, Blessed is God from Zion, Jerusalem, who dwells in Jerusalem, and we all say... Hallelujah. Good job. You know your Hebrew pretty good. Isn't that nice? And so we go up. And I just happened to have some pictures of some of the first pilgrimages to ever go up to Jerusalem. You want to see them? These are what some of the first pilgrimages to Jerusalem looked like. Can you see that? Do you know who that is? We got Jeannie, and we got James Taylor, and Lee, and we have Rick hiding behind there, and we have David, and we have Mary Lou, because why? Did we go up to Jerusalem? Yes, we did, but they weren't really the first ones. Actually, this kind of a graphic picture of them kind of taking the tabernacle and the menorah that they constructed as they march up to Jerusalem. And as I said, Jerusalem is a tale of two cities. It's made up of two words. Yareh, shalom. Yeru, shalom. Yerushalayim. Yareh means abiding place. It's where God dwells. Shalom, the city of peace. So you have a place of worship and a city that are constructed together. One 
cannot exist without the other. And it's very cool that that's the way that God formed it. And I have just so that you can see some pictures. So this is a typographical look at Jerusalem. You have Mount Moriah in the smaller section, which is the original Jerusalem, and then Mount Zion is kind of now expanded to the greater city of Jerusalem. This picture didn't come out good, but the one in the middle is actually, that's what Jerusalem looked like at the time of Abraham. It was just some hills and probably very few settlers. At the time of King David, about 1000 BC, the Jebusites actually had lived there, and they just had a little walled city, and it was actually pretty small, and they think that they said less than 1,000, 2,000 people lived in the city. That's Bethlehem. It's only a few miles from that city, and this is the hometown of King David. And then when David took the city about 950 B.C., he now constructed his palace, and he wasn't able to build the temple, but Othel had a threshing floor, and that's where we believe Mount Moriah was, where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. And then later on, at the time of Jesus, the city of David is still there with the temple, and you can see that the city now is not to expand. Seventy A.D. The temple's destroyed. In 120, the Jews are kicked out of Israel, and really for 1,900 years it was very desolate. And this is probably a picture of around 1,900, where you can basically see there's not much going on in Jerusalem. It was a barren, barren city. A few people lived there. Probably less than 100,000 people lived in Israel. And it was only maybe five, ten thousand 10,000 people who actually lived in Jerusalem for all those times. Today, this is what the city of David and the Temple Mount looks like today. And Jerusalem statistically has about 800,000 people living in it. It's amazing. And this is a side picture of the city of David that we actually toured when we were in Israel. Very beautiful. And as I said, the city is constructed to also be part of where we worship God. So Abraham sacrifices Isaac up in the Temple Mount. This is King Solomon's temple, about 900 B.C., as we worship God where? In Jerusalem. They are connected. Then this is Herod's temple. And Herod built his temple at the time of Jesus and was destroyed in 70 AD. In fact, we, we celebrated a few weeks ago in Israel and the Jewish world, we celebrate the destruction of the temple because the Romans decided to destroy Herod's temple on the same day, same date that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed King Solomon's temple. It's called Tishba'av. And, and a few hundred years after, 
Israel is kicked out of Israel. The Muslims come, they control Jerusalem, and they build the Dome of the Rock, which still exists today. And there's James and I standing on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Temple Mount area, and there you can see behind us is what's modern-day Temple Mount. And this is a picture because... Depending on how you read the book of Revelation, it says that there'll be a third temple and it could conceivably be built right next to the Dome of the Rock. Mike, we can discuss this afterwards, okay? And finally, in the book of Ezekiel, there'll be a fourth temple for a thousand years where? In the city of Jerusalem. So you can see that Yerushalayim is the place where God abides. He dwells in the temple where? In the city of peace. Because he's there to bring peace. Okay? I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Now it's interesting because, you know, we name cities after where people abode or abide. Can anybody tell me why we call this the United States of America. Who founded America? Not Christopher Columbus. Come on, you guys are all Americans. You don't know? <laughs> How about local? Who, do you know Bradford was a city before it joined Havel? Now, who was Bradford named after? William Bradford, right? Came here during the Pilgrims. Can you tell me who Columbus, Ohio is named after? Christopher Columbus. Very good. And there are cities that are named after events. Anybody ever visit Truth or Consequences, New Mexico? How about Tombstone, Arizona? You know why they call it Tombstone? Not many, very, very many people, they went in, but they didn't come out. And then how about this city? I don't even know if anybody lives here. Atomic City, Idaho. They did testing of the atomic bomb there, so they named it afterwards. But here's an interesting tidbit. Portland, Oregon. Okay? It was a settlement called The Clearing. And settlers Asa Lovejoy and Francis Pettigrove both wanted to name the settlement after where they grew up. So Lovejoy grew up in Boston, and Pettigrove grew up in Portland, Maine. So they flipped a coin three times, and whoever won two out of three would get to name the city. And you obviously know who won, right? Pettigrove, and they named the city Portland, Oregon. If one more flip would have been tails instead of heads. It would have been named Portland, Oregon, and we would have had Boston. I mean, uh, if the coin flipped had gone the other way, it could have been called Boston. So just little tidbits on, there's always histories of cities. It's where God abides. Point number two. There's actually two kinds of cities that are joined together to form. Jerusalem. And as we 
go to the next verse in our psalm this morning. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. The problem with this verse is you can't really understand it unless you see it from the Hebrew perspective. Because the English tries to do something that it can't. You need the Hebrew to fully understand what King David was trying to describe here. Okay? And, oh, my steps flattened out. Okay, so one slide didn't make it. But these are the steps, again, and the steps in the Jewish liturgy um, are now beginning to rise up to where we start to pronounce the Shema and then the blessings of what's going on as we go up to Jerusalem. Listen to what we say. As we begin to start approaching God a little bit closer, we say the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohino, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then we sing a song called Kadosh. Because who is the Lord? He's not only one, he's holy. And this is what it sounds like. Kadosh, 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 Kadosh. Kadosh, Kadosh Adonai, Elohim Sefaot, Baruch Kavod Adonai, Mim Kamo. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, who was, is, and is to come. Blessed is the glory of God from his place. And his place is Jerusalem. And then we sing another liturgy in the Amidah. And I won't sing this one. I'll spare you my lack of chanting. But it says, Return in my compassion to your holy city, Jerusalem, and rest within it as you have promised. Rebuild her speedily in our days as a tower forever. May you establish the throne of David within Jerusalem, so blessed are you, Lord, the builder of Jerusalem. So not only do we pray about what happened in Jerusalem in this synagogue, we actually pray for the rebuilding and the return of Jerusalem so that God can again dwell in his holy place. Okay? And when you say the Amidah, you take three steps backwards, and then at the end, you take three steps forward. Three steps backwards because you're withdrawing from the material world and three steps forward as you approach God in the spiritual sense. And so Jerusalem is a place where you approach God. And as I said, it's a city that is bound firmly together. That's the ESV. But... It's actually, and I probably made this too small, so I'll read these, okay? It says here that in Psalm 122.3, it says that Jerusalem is connected together, not with another thing, but together 
with itself. It's a very interesting word that's used for bound, and it's the only time that the word habarar is used in the scriptures, because it's unique. In the Babylonian Talmud, it says that Jerusalem is knit together, so there must be two of them. And finally, it says in the Talmud, I will not, God says, I will not enter heavenly Jerusalem until I enter the physical Jerusalem. Now, why do I bring all this up? Because to understand how Jerusalem is built, there's two Jerusalem. There's a heavenly Jerusalem. There's a earthly Jerusalem, and that's a picture that we took when we were in Jerusalem. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's kind of the old city. And when Moses originally built the tabernacle, there is a connection to heaven and earth. And then you notice that Moses was given instructions to build the tabernacle. Why? Because it was instructed that he build it in the replica of what's in heaven. And so you have a heavenly tabernacle and you have an earthly tabernacle. And so, why do you need to know Hebrew to understand this? Because the name Yerushalayim gives us an understanding. In Hebrew, you can have singular, you can have plural, or you can have a pair. And the words that end with ayam mean two. Not many, but two. We have the same thing in our world, in English. So, for example, a pair of glasses. Why a pair of glasses? There's only one. How about a pair of pants? I'm only wearing one, but we call them a pair of pants, don't we? And so, in Hebrew, a pair of eyeglasses is called mishkafayim, ayim. Trousers. Mechnas ayim. Again, ayim. There's a pair. So they do the same thing in Hebrew that we do in English. Now there's other words that you might be more familiar with. To life, to life, lachayim. Chayim means life. From the fiddler on the roof. But chayim is two. Why? Because the Rabbis say we have two life. We have one down here, and then when we die, we have one in the spiritual realm. Water. Water is plural in English. I mean, in, um, in Hebrew. Mayim. Why? Because Genesis says there was waters above and waters below. And then Yerushalayim. Why? Because there's two heavens. There's one in heaven, and there's one on earth. And in fact... Yehuda Amachai once put it, Jerusalem is the port city on the shore of eternity. I like that. It's the port city on the shore of eternity. And so, in a sense, you have to understand the Hebrew to understand that Jerusalem is unique. It's almost like there are two cities that are knitted together to form it. Third, there are two kinds of people that journey up 
to Jerusalem. Okay, and as we continue in our Psalm 122, 4 and 5, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord, the thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So again, the connection of going up to the house of the Lord, where? In Jerusalem. And this is the part of the synagogue service where the block on the left is the top sphere, and this is the part of the service where we actually take out the Torah. And we sing a song, and it's pretty cool. Listen to this. Ki mitzion Torah. Ki mitzion Torah. Udavar Adonai meherushalayim. Baruch shenatat Torah, Torah. Baruch shenatat Torah, Torah. Lahamo Yisrael bekadushato. For from Zion will go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Blessed be he who in his holiness gave the Torah to his people Israel. So the Torah was given to the Jewish people. It stayed in the Holy of Holies, the Ten Commandments. And yet the Jewish people were not commanded just to hold the Torah to themselves. The word of the Lord goes out from Jerusalem to whom? the rest of the world. So the Torah isn't just for the Jews. It's for the world. And Jews, the tribes, go up to Jerusalem, but you know who went up with them? It's interesting, because growing up in the Jewish world, and Kaylee, as she was witnessing in one of the great Jewish cities of the world, New York City, I always was told growing up, Jews don't proselytize. Christians do. But Jews don't. But here's the problem. If we have the Torah and we're commanded to be a priest to the nations, how do we give it to them? We must proselytize. I remember growing up, I would ask my papa, pups, why were we chosen? Like, where did that name come from? It confused me as when I was Josh's age. What are we chosen for? And the funny thing is, is over the years, you know, it's a stock answer in Judaism. Oi, we've been chosen to suffer because we've been suffering for such a long time. But when I became a believer, I realized why we were chosen, to give the word, to make sure that the world know that there was one God, that there was one place where he dwelt, and the word of the Lord goes from there. Amen? Amen. And the Jerusalem Talmud, it says that Jerusalem makes all Israel's, that makes all people friends. So it's a very unique city, because why? Today, you have Jews, Arabs, and Christians from all over the world who go in Jerusalem, and at the beginning, Jerusalem was inhabited by the Jebusites, and we have the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Amorites. Later on, at the time of Jesus, the Jews lived there with some Romans. 
And then today, it's kind of divided between the Muslim, the Christian, and the Jewish quarter. And how many people here went to Israel with, with the church? How many people have been to Israel not with the church? So when you go to the old city right around where the Dome of the Rock is, it's divided. You have the Muslim, the Christian, and the Jewish quarters. And this is what it looks like from an aerial picture. It's not very big, and it's cramped, and it's tight quarters. In fact, that's called the shuk. And you walk up and down these corridors, which could be over 2,000 years old, and there's shopkeepers all around trying to get your attention, getting you to buy things. This is in the Muslim quarters. And as we went up to the Wailing Wall, you have different people worshiping there. Anybody know who this is? That's Pastor Rick. Worshipping at the Wailing Wall. He's obviously not Jewish, but is a Christian. Anybody know who this gentleman might be? He's an ultra-Orthodox Jew who do a lot of praying at the Wailing Wall. And then I don't know how this next guy got in here. Anybody know who that is? That's me. Praying at the Wailing Wall. Why? Because it's a pretty special place to pray. It's, think about it. When you're touching the, the wall, it's not the wall of the temple, but the wall surrounding the temple area. And as I was praying there, you, you just think, wow, this is the one place in the world that God said he was going to dwell, and you get to pray there. It's a pretty awesome, awesome uh, temp. So it's a city oop, that is not just for the Jews. God intended it for everybody. Amen? Amen. And then finally, there's two kinds of peace that bring joy in Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Pray be within your walls and the security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And that's how the prayer ends, by actually asking us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But there's actually two words for peace in this psalm. And as we finish our Torah service, we took out the Torah and we pray about the word of the Lord coming from Jerusalem. Then we put the Torah back and we, this is what we pronounce in the synagogue as we put it back. Etayim hi lamakazimba Betom heha meusha, derha heha dache noam, the kol nativo techa shalom, ashihi vehinu adonai, elecha binashuva, hahadesh, hahadesha menu, hahadesha menu kekedem. 
And as we put the Torah back, it is the tree of life to those who take hold of it and those who support it are blessed. It's always ways of pleasantness and all its paths of peace. Shalom. Bring us back to you, Lord, and we shall return. Renew, renew our days of old. Renew our days as of old. So in the song, pray for the peace, shalom, may they be secure. The word for, uh, the word for secure is shelva, which is the same root word as shalom, but they mean two different things. Peace is completeness with God. Shelver means more of a physical peace without war and without division. So you have these two peace that are being able to combine to give us true peace. Can you have peace outwardly if you don't have it inwardly? No. Can you have peace inwardly but not have it outwardly? Yes. The question is, when will the two come together? That's what we've been praying for. And we'll come together one day, okay? And what's, what's interesting is uh, yesterday was my birthday. And in Judaism, you get a bar mitzvah on your 13th birthday. Now, today in the synagogue, yesterday in the synagogue, okay, we read Isaiah 51 and Isaiah 52. Next week, which is going to be the anniversary of my bar mitzvah, you know what we read? What comes after Isaiah 52? Isaiah 54. My bar mitzvah portion was Isaiah 54. And you know what? It's been, let's see, 37, no, 47 years. And I still remember the first verse. You want to hear it? Here's how it sounded. Kaylee, you listening? I still remember my bar mitzvah from my half Torah. And it goes, Ani akara lo yelada. Not bad, Sydney, huh? Do you remember your half Torah portion? <laughs> so I still remember it after all these years. And here's the, the sad part. We go from Isaiah 52 to Isaiah 54. What happened to Isaiah 53? Because Isaiah 53 is the most pronounced understanding of how to bring peace to the Jewish people. It starts off, who would believe our report? Who would believe that God would send his son as a lamb that is led to the slaughter? You know, we have these lambs coming up to the steps, but little did the Jewish people realize that the Lord, who is our shepherd, was going to be a lamb that would lay down his life. And Isaiah 53 says that he, he took our infirmities and took our sufferings to bring us well-being, to bring us peace. So you can't have inner peace by doing it yourself. If there's anyone here who does not have peace in your heart, you cannot Bring it yourself. You can't be complete with God. Why? Because sin separates us from God. The only way to come back is to allow Jesus, the Lamb of God, to come into your heart. It's what makes you complete inside, 
and then we can start working on the outside. And that's what makes Jerusalem so special. It's not only a place that you can find inner peace, one day we're going to find outer peace. Amen? And then the problem is, is that God has a plan for Jerusalem in the end times. We don't have time to go through everything, but in Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, it lays out something very interesting about Jerusalem. It says Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling. There's a reason why God resurrected Israel 70 years ago, and he resurrected Jerusalem 50 years ago. This is a very unique year. The liberation of Israel and the city are both 70 and 50, and they have special numerology in Hebrew. And it says, and I won't read the whole passage, but it says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness, that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. There's a reason why Jerusalem exists today. Because God isn't done. It's going to be a cup of trembling for the world. Unfortunately, it says that Jerusalem again will be cut off. It says... I will come about that in the days, declares the Lord, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, that two parts of it will be cut off and perish. So Jerusalem, even though it's a city of peace, will still have some commotion going forward. It will be captured. And the city will be captured when the nations try to come. Isn't it interesting that everybody, we're told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, yet everyone else prays for a peace of Jerusalem. But then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. The final battle is going to be fought where? In Israel and Jerusalem. And in that day, his feet stand on the Mount of Olives. So the Lord is going to come back and fight and that's when Yeshua will come back. And guess where he's going to stand on? On the Mount of Olives. And Jerusalem will be cleansed. The spirit of grace and supplication because when Jesus comes back that will be the last time that anybody will be able to accept him as their Lord and Savior. And then a fountain will be opened. And living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. Half of them toward the east and half them to the west. Pretty amazing. And so they'll mourn the one that they have pierced. They'll call to be saved. They'll return on the Mount of Olives. And that's the viewpoint of the Mount of Olives looking down over the city of Jerusalem. And then finally, we pray for a new city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Now, in the synagogue, we end our service by this prayer, and then um, I'm done. Listen to this. It's called Shalom Alechem. And as we go home after the service, after we meet God, we read from the Torah, Again, we, we, we want to be messengers of peace. 
Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Hashavat, Malachi Elyon, Mi Malchi Malchi HaMalchim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Peace unto you, ministering angels, messenger of the highest, from the King of Kings, He is holy, blessed is He. So, as we see today, Jerusalem is very, very special. It's a place where two words come together, where God dwells in his temple and resides in the city of Jerusalem. It's two Jerusalems, a heavenly and an earthly Jerusalem that are joined together. Two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, get to come and understand that they can have access to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and finally... There's two peace, a peace that's inward and a peace that's outward. 